Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Market Watch podcast by Amplify Live, where you can access the latest market insights with me, Anthony Chung, the head of market analysis, and joined by our head of trading, Piers Curran, getting you up to speed on what mattered in markets this week. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Market Watch by Amplify Live. And um, for any of those who are new to the podcast, uh, my name is Anthony. I'm the head of market analysis here. And every end of the week, I get joined by our head of trading, Piers Curran. And we basically just have a, a pretty informal catch up, as we would do in any no- normal circumstances in a, in a non pandemic era, uh, kind of wrapping up the week and just discussing what we think about some of the major themes. Uh, and then hopefully every week, this can give you a bit of an insight as to the way that we think and our views on certain hot topics. Uh, and then at the end, we bookmark it with a bit of a look ahead for, for next week and some of the main things for traders, investors to be aware of. So here's episode four. Let's do this. Good morning. <laughs> Raring to go. And I guess the, the main thing I want to talk about, rather than dividing this up as we have done before into um, three different questions, I really want to focus on one because it's a big one. And it is this one I keep reading about this week and lots of talking heads and financial media um, commenting on the recent move we've had across asset classes, which is um, yields moving higher. And we've seen other um, movement elsewhere. Equities have softened a little bit. I find that quite funny when people start talking about, wow, equities are down and intraday traders start panicking. And I'm like, we're down (laughs) 0.5%. And then at the end of the day, we end up rallying anyway, and it's like a V-shaped microcosm move. Um, so equities have not, you know, we're still up there, um, but relative softening throughout the week. But gold prices have seen a meaningful decline as well. So the main comment then is that investors are kind of looking at this further sharp rise in yields and asking the question, does this threaten Wall Street's record run? So what's your, your view on that? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... 
so with the yields thing, I mean, uh, the, the kind of main barometer the world perhaps uses, well, certainly us, Europe, US, we, we kind of look at the US 10-year yield. Okay, That's the US 10-year government bond yield. And look, it's been on the rise and it's, it's hit 1.3%. Um, and that's up from, to put that into context, like over the last six months, uh, we hit a low, let, let's call it the pandemic low at 0.5%. And, and now we're up to 1.3%. Okay, so, you know, in basic terms, if you buy this asset, you're going to get 1.3%. Um, income uh, on your on your money per year, right? And the point about that is that it's now more money, right? You're, if you buy these fixed income bond products, the yield you get back is rising, all right? And people are saying, well, hang on, that's looking a bit more interesting then, again. And one of the you know one argument people have is that one one powerful force on the stock market pushing it higher is the fact that bond yields have been historically at record ever lows. And so there's not been much income to, to earn from owning bonds. And so people have been more and more forced into buying equities, where you can, of course, earn income as well via dividends. Um, so this whole story um, has kind of been one of the main factors that's been helping to push stocks to record ever highs in the US. So now you're getting yields back on the rise. People are starting to question it. Hang on. Is this looking more attractive? Are people going to switch out of stocks um, and back into, into bonds to benefit from, from these higher yields? But you know the problem is that 1.3%, um, if, you, if you just go back to, I'm just looking now on the basically pre-pandemic, it's still at a record ever low, 1.3%. 1.3% is, is uh, to all intents and purposes, still at the record ever low. And you definitely aren't going to see a big rotation out of stocks and into bonds just because the yields hit 1.3%. It's going to have to go a hell of a lot higher. You know, let's say it was, it, well, we kind of, we were, we spent a period of time above 2% through the 2018, 2019 phase. And look, you're going to have to get back up to those kind of levels in order for this rotation to come out of stocks. And the only way we're going to get back up there is inflation and inflation rising sustainably. So yeah, my answer to that specific question, are these bond yields rising? Is that a concern for equity traders? No, not yet. So, so I guess then you, you finished that with talking about inflation. And I think the, the market definitely is, you know, the, the hot word is the kind of reflation trade, if you like. Um, but central bankers definitely from this week, uh, from the Fed in the FOMC minutes, pushing back against that notion that they're particularly panicked at this point, And they foresee this as being temporary. So... I guess the, the question here is, um, I think there's a, a strong argument for the temporary nature of where we've coming from to where it might look like in the short term. But that doesn't detract from the point, though, at some point in time, the Fed are going to have to surely alter their communication. Too soon now, it would appear, going off the comments from this week. But is that one of the main things that you'd be looking at? Beyond vaccine rollouts, let's say, let's let's just, um, you know, we talked before about there is an ultimate huge risk tied to a mutation that cannot be solved by the existing format and the complications that that would create. But beyond that, because generally that's not happened, 
um, and it's a lower probability. Things like uh, I saw in the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey this week, that number two on investors' minds as a key risk is taper tantrum with inflation, which I guess are the tied to the same thing. Um, so how, how do you... Yeah, I guess how do you see that playing out? What's the time frame we'd be looking at for that to materialize? Yeah, so you know, stocks, when you look at US stocks at, at least, uh, all-time highs. And so what are these risks and these tail risks as we call them? You know, what what's what can we see in the future that might derail this stock market rally? And as you said, COVID-related factors would be number one, but now the vaccines are rolling out. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a low probability. Um, scenario. Um, so outside of the vaccines, as you say, inflation is probably the key one, right? And so let, let's kind of just drill into that a little bit. Um, because on the one hand, you've got people talking about a reflation trade, which is driving stocks higher. But then on the other hand, you've got people saying, well, hang on, if inflation rises, it's going to drive stocks lower. And it's like, well, hang on, what? how can you have both? And um, I think it's important to understand what inflation is actually first. So inflation, just in basic, very basic terms, it's, it's just measuring at the rate at which prices of goods rise. Okay, prices are the stuff that we buy as consumers. Um, and so it's effectively the cost of living. Uh, and how is that, how quickly is that changing? Okay, and we look at measuring it year on year, as we call it. So we're always looking, what are prices today compared to prices 12 months ago? And we measure this using lots of, it's quite a complex um, measurement inflation, and there's loads of different methods to measure it. Uh, one, one of the most popular is something called CPI, Consumer Price Index. Okay, um, But actually, for our traders and investors, um, we're more interested in a different measure. It's called, it's called PCE, that's Personal Consumption Expenditures. Okay, and, and the reason why we're more interested in the PCE measure is because that's the measure of inflation that the Federal Reserve monitor most closely when they're trying to make decisions, do we need to raise rates or cut rates, right? And ultimately, that's what one of the Fed's key jobs is to keep is to keep inflation in check, all right? And their target's around 2%. And we'll talk about how they've changed their methodology in a minute. But um, um, so PCE then, you know, is that going to rise? And how quickly is it going to rise? And is that rise going to be sustainable? And the only way it's going to be a negative for stocks medium to long term, is if the rise in PCE is fast and sustained. Okay. Now, most likely what we're thinking at the moment is we are going to get a sharp uptick in PCE as we come into the spring. And the reasons are you've got this, this multiple forces all, all timed perfectly, right? So we're going to come out of lockdown. Just, just think about your spending habits, right? You've been locked up in, in your prison cell of your house for months, right? And we, we're going to go out and we're going to, we're going to <laughs> release. Okay? I, I don't know about you, but I can't wait, right? And people are going to spend money. So on the demand side, demand's going to rise, which should ride, drive up prices, right? Just at the same kind of time, though, think about the supply side. So that's how much stuff and how much goods are there out there? And, and generally, companies have been reducing stock levels. Companies have been impacted by supply chain constraints due to COVID factors. So the supply side's probably on, on uh, there's a shortage. So you're going to get a big spike in demand when probably supply can't cover it. So that's going to lead to prices rising. 
add into that mix the Fed stimulating, you know, zero interest rates, you know, big quantitative easing programs, add into that then the U.S. government um, stimulus package where a check's going to arrive at the front door for whatever, 1500 bucks, just as we're at a lockdown and bang, right? You're going to get this perfect storm for inflation rising. And this is going to cause a bit of panic, especially for people who don't understand, truly understand inflation and the way it works. And the final point on that is the timing, because we measure inflation year on year. And when did inflation collapse? It was in April because that's when lockdown started, April 2020, right? So just so it's going to be April 2021 where you get this big explosion of spending, and that's perfect comparison April 2020 to get that max positive inflation kick, all right? Now, that's going to drive up yields, okay? And some investors are going to go, oh, my God, inflation, right? What are the Fed going to do about this? They're going to have to raise interest rates now. And ultimately, that's the big concern, right? Do the Fed raise interest rates to try and contain inflation? Because if they raise rates, we're, we're, we're in trouble just because of the sheer amount of debt that we have personally and certainly governments now in terms of tackling this pandemic, right? So the big risk is, will inflation rise and will the Fed raise rates to try and stop it? And what I believe is that you're going to get this temporary flick higher in inflation in the spring but then, you know, are people going to go on a spending rampage for yeah, months? You know, are you still going to be spending like come some kind of frenzied animal when you, when you get into September and October? No, you, you know, we'll go back to normal, right? And, and don't forget, people have lost their jobs. So, you know, their ability to spend perhaps isn't going to be sustainable either. So I think you're going to get an uptick, short-term spike in inflation. I think that will then calm down as we go through through the summer and into year end. And therefore, I don't think the Fed are going to do anything about it. No, it's interesting that that last point you were saying, because you know, one of the things here is that as we go further into the year, let's say we get into Q3, Q4, and the economy start to reopen on the loosening of restrictions, and the government, you know, this isn't just a Fed story. Like you said, the fiscal you know, foot on the pedal starts to ease a little bit. And at some point, something like furlough in the UK, for example, which has kind of been mimicked in various forms, has to end. And there's, there's got to be a, a certain amount. And I've read you know, numbers in the high single-digit millions in the UK who are basically just waiting to be unemployed. They just haven't yet done so in terms of the figures. Uh, and I'm sure companies as well, to a certain degree, is, is kind of similar. These kind of zombie firms that have been maintained, if you like, yep. uh, on life support which ultimately cannot reopen in the future. So yeah, and that would play true to, as you're saying then, the sustainability of the consumer then to, I guess, the domino effect, be employed, have, have, have a workforce to then have, be confident of their situation and be able to spend. Yeah, and I, I, the one other point to mention is that the Fed are different in 2021 than they were before in previous cycles in that they've changed their policy around inflation. So they now have what's called an average inflation target um, sort of policy, which means that they're going to be more um, relaxed if inflation ticks above their 2% target. And basically what they're saying is for every period of time inflation has been below target, they're going to allow an equal and opposite 
time above target to kind of balance that out. So when you're, but they're only looking back over in like 12 month segments, right? So it's like, if inflation kicks higher, right? And let's say it goes to two and a half percent. Well, fine, but we've been at, we, we hit 1% in 2020, right? So they're going to let it go to 3% if it, if it did. And by the way, poor, core PCE hasn't been above like, I think the highest it's been in the last decade is like 2.2%. So if it goes to three, all right, that's alarmingly high in the short term and on historical standards. But actually, the Fed will let that go on the basis they assume it's going to drop back down. Now, that's the big risk for me. And it won't come until the second half of the year when all this inflation stuff plays out is if inflation doesn't come back down, if it stays elevated, now then the Fed have got a problem. And the Fed may well have to start indicating they're going to have to do something about it. And that's what this taper tantrum thing is all about. Those of you who've been reading about it in the press, this is, this is um, talking about a situation that happened in 2013, this taper tantrum thing. And that's when the Fed took their, took their or tried to take their pedal off the stimulus, or sorry, foot off the stimulus pedal, you know, post-financial crisis. And Bernanke made a big shift in policy. Right, guys, the economy's back. We're going to start taking our foot off the gas and everyone freaked out and panic. markets freaked out. And this is what this, this fear is that the Fed are going to have to say in this year, guys, we're going to take our foot off the stimulus gas because inflation's too high. And that's that kind of taper tantrum. It's just, I don't think it's going to happen, but let's see. Yeah, it's, it, it, I, I can't kind of wait for, I'm almost like getting slightly giddy about the idea that the Fed's naturally as a central bank not pre-committing but providing us with guidance forward guidance it's like if inflation starts to then run hot and maintain it they've got to say they've got to say something and it's such a um such a difficult job for a central banker i remember watching a documentary about mark carney um, at the bank of england when he was there and it's just a lose lose <laughs> role to have <laughs> because either side uh, of the the kind of marketplace is going to have a uh, be dissatisfied with your course of action. Yeah, it's it's what it's the ultimate tightrope. Yeah, you know, being that that top figure at a central bank, a big one like like especially obviously like the Fed, it's it's almost impossible to tread that path perfectly mm. uh, and make all camps happy and confident. Apart apart from your man Draghi, of course, who's just yeah. getting the job done at the minute in Italy, of course. Absolutely, Mario, number one. <laughs> Okay, well, look, let me just um, have a quick look to next week um, because there's uh, an interesting thing I'm looking out for on Monday, uh, and that is that the UK government is set to give an update, of course, on its lockdown strategy. And that comes after they, by one day, exceeded their target, which um, by all, you know, all things being equal has been a, a real success comparatively to other places in the world in terms of the rollout program. But some of the things that I've been reading this week in the press are that anti-lockdown Tories are not satisfied. I was in, I was in the supermarket yesterday, and uh, obviously in this digital age, I, I, I can't even remember the last time I read an actual newspaper. But I see the newspaper stand, and uh, I saw the Daily Mail headline, and it was just like, Boris, you need to reopen. What are you doing? Kind of headline. <laughs> And so these anti-lockdown Tories, are, they're putting pressure on Boris to lift restrictions because of the rate of which then 
cases, deaths, uh, falling, and so on and so, so forth. It was revealed earlier this week that hospitality, holiday, and leisure sectors might not return to normal until July. And that's where they're getting a bit frustrated. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Are you expecting much from that on, on Monday? Does it mean well, anything much for markets for next week in terms of sterling? I think the, the problem we have, even the great success of this rollout, but the problem is that if we've only got 300,000, no, sorry, 3 million, if the supply of vaccines is like 3 million a week, then basically what's going to happen as we go into April is that everyone will, you know, we'll get to maybe to the over 50s having jab number one. But then when you get to the end of March, you're going to need then those that had their first jab in January then need to come back for their 12-week second jab. So actually, when you get into March, April, May, June, most of April, May, June will be second jabs for those that have already had their first. So really, it could be that we hit the summer where it is still only the over 50s that have had jabs. And it's only then when you get to July august it's then the below 50s can start coming in for jab one you know and that's why people are talking in those terms and i think that's right so um i think boris because of that is gonna definitely go with a cautious tone and look you can't make everyone happy and there's going to be those anti-lockdown tories that are going to be screaming and shouting about it but you know that's that's the situation. So I think he'll he will strike a cautionary tone and look he doesn't want to make the gaff like he did you know Christmas Christmas is back on, guys. That's what he said at the start of December. Uh, and of course, that was a disaster for him politically. So the absolute last thing he's going to do is overcommit and then, then fail to deliver on that commitment. I have got a notepad, actually, where I'm listing down some of Boris's uh, most infamous phrases, like squash the sombrero. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that one at the beginning of the pandemic. Or have a, uh, a jolly... Have a jolly Christmas, but be jolly careful. <laughs> Another one he's coined. Uh, yes. Well, this week, the highlight was about, he was putting on the, the medical glove and he said, oh, I feel like OJ Simpson. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I can't deny, Boris, that, you know, he's uh, he, he does provide some entertainment for us through the week, uh, all things aside. But otherwise, uh, Monday, German IFO is also coming out. And um, again, anyone for new to markets who are not familiar with that data point, um, essentially it's, it's a survey of companies from a variety of different sectors within Germany and asking them about what do they feel about current conditions and future expectations. So it's always an interesting one to look at from a, a kind of where are we on the perception of the near-term future over the next six-month horizon. So that'll be something interesting on Monday. Tuesday, UK job data, Eurozone CPI, US consumer confidence. Wednesday, we've got the RBNZ rate decision, US home and new home sales. Thursday, a bit more busy on the US side. So we do get that core PCE prices uh, reading that Piers was commenting on, which is a, a focal point for, for investors and traders. You get the second reading of US GDP, durable goods and pending home sales. So all coming on Thursday with Chicago PMI and the final University of Michigan reading uh, for the month on Friday. Uh, so that's, that's what's on the docket. Um, otherwise, just to, to wrap up this podcast, again, if, you, if you've enjoyed it, if you're new, don't forget to, to follow or subscribe depending on your platform. If it's on Apple, I'd massively appreciate it if you could leave a rating uh, and a review, just help you know, get, get us out to more people. And I've also got 
a special exclusive interview I did earlier this week, not even peers has seen, um, with a guy that I met a few years ago called Merit Black. And he is now the founder and head trader uh, at his own prop desk called Apteros. Uh, but he used to be one of the main guys at SB Capital in New York. And he and I had a really great chat about process, about motivation, about continuous improvement, uh, about self-awareness, the full nine yards. So that's going to go out on the Amplified Trading YouTube channel on Saturday, um, the 20th of February. So check that out. Otherwise, Piers, always a pleasure. And I'll catch you next week. Yep. Cheers, Ant. See you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.